What does it mean to live together? On this land? In, in this, this place? place? Burnt Thicket Theatre presents We, we Treaty, Treaty People. People. Audio dramas exploring what it means to embrace all our relations. Welcome back for our conversation with the artists from last episode. The Yard with the Old Plow. My name is Yvette Nolan, and I'm the production dramaturge for We Treaty People. My name is Stephen Walchmet. I'm the artistic director of Burnt Thicket Theatre. Part of my personal journey in recent years has been about learning to see the history of Canada from Indigenous perspectives and unlearning cultural assumptions and practices I've received in my Eurocentric heritage. Of course, this learning and unlearning are ongoing. As a company, Burnt Thicket is seeking to respond to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's Call to Action number 83 to support good ways for Indigenous and non-Indigenous artists to collaborate in making theatre that contributes to reconciliation in these lands called Canada. In our live shows after Curtain Call, we encourage audiences and artists to engage with each other, with the story, and with their real lives outside the theatre. Given that these are digital performances, we hope this conversation with the artists will expand your reflection about the play. We'd like to invite you to learn more. Check out the resources and suggestions in the episode description and our website. We encourage you to talk about the play with your friends, to chat with us on Facebook or in our virtual talkbacks on Zoom. Or by leaving a response on our website. We want to hear what you think. Yeah, so Yvette, as I remember it, we were working on the script development for another project, but we were dreaming about what else could we do in terms of audio drama and and what um, what could we do that would support conversations around reconciliation and and encouraging indigenous and non-indigenous artists to work together. And I've been hoping to share that uh, wonderful script that Shanda Stephenson created for some theaters the last Sunday, uh, The Yard with the Old Plow, in in some other context. And it dawned on me that that could become an audio play and maybe we could build a series around it. And I approached you and said, Yvette, what do you think? Would you would you be willing to um, come alongside in creating a proposal for a grant and in talking to playwrights and helping us to, I guess, dream up what, what could this series be and, and how would we go about it? Yeah, um, it's funny that Shanda's play is such a, it's a, a bit of a mother vinegar in a way in that it just keeps generating more and more, more work. It was in some theater and then it was in uh, Shortcuts yes. and now it's in this series. And it is such a terrific, moving play that is actually about reconciliation. I am very careful where I put my energy because... It's easy to talk the talk and not walk the walk. Mm. And so what does reconciliation mean? What does that even mean? What is a pathway to reconciliation? But as we point out in the series, one of the calls to action is that we work together, Indigenous and non-Indigenous artists, to make work that moves us forward down that path. Yeah. And 
the actual act of working together is, I think, an act of reconciliation, a, a, like one step along that path, mm. which is why I agreed to do this. Plus, I'm connected to a large community of other like-minded artists who are also working towards reconciliation. When I look down this list of of artists, um, mm-hmm. of these playwrights, yeah, mm-hmm. of the playwrights and certain and of the directors as well yeah. who we've yep. brought into the project, and I knew that that was a thing that I could bring to the project. And you and I have had many conversations about um, <laughs> how we put together these groups of artists and mm-hmm. who who needs to be in the room to have these discussions. And that's that is a really sort of satisfying uh, thing to do is to, you know, cast that play. Like, that's what we're doing, essentially. We cast the whole series, yeah. all of the players in the series, um, so that the joy of the creation is part of the payoff. And then, you know, how it's received by the listening audience is another part of it. Yeah, that's lovely. The joy of the creation. I... I uh... I was excited about creating the plays and the the idea we had to to do artist conversation talk back in interview episodes but that also has felt like well it's a risky like well what are people going to say and how is that conversation going to go and is it going to um well yeah we just we just didn't know what 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 are people going to say and I've been thrilled by how um how meaningful those conversations have been, and we're we're still in the in the thick of them, um, but but it's been a joy to to see those conversations emerge, both in the rehearsal process and when we've been recording those, um, and and to hear artists talk about their experience working on these these plays, and then also talking about them after recording them, that that has been. I guess that has been a joy to them, even though it, that also felt risky. Like, oh, I have to be in the interview now, and um, yeah, but it's yeah. all—it has to be like it's all risky, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. theater has to, in my mind, matter, and it has to be brave with this project in particular. But in all the work that we do, we're we're trying to model good behavior. Mm-hmm. We're trying to model how we move forward together, mm. and that's we know that the whole world doesn't is not at the same place that we are because we've been doing this work inside this project. Um, so it is a risk and it does require bravery on the parts of all the creators yeah. and on the part of Burnt Thicket to be making these things and then offering them out to the public and then asking for the audience to feed back to us. But, you know, we live in a country that is articulating this ideal of reconciliation and if the artists are not leading, then what are we doing? Yeah. And now, recorded on Treaty 6 territory, we bring you a conversation with the artists from The Yard with the Old Plow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. Okay, well, welcome everybody to our our first artist talkback interview conversation. And uh, it is great to hear from you, most of the artists involved in creating the yard with the old plow. I just thought we could start, uh, would everybody just go around and introduce yourselves and, and your role in the show? Well, I'm Shanda Stephenson. I'm the playwright of uh, the yard with the old plow. 
My name is Tim, and I am recording engineer and doing the editing. My name is Lisa Bayless, and I play the role of Bev. Alan Long here, and I play the role of Bob. Uh, Aaron Okamason, and I play Jonathan. Wonderful. Well, we're thinking at this moment to ask you, the listener, who are listening at home, or wherever you are, to consider this question before we hear from our artists. What surprised you as you listened to The Yard with the Old Plow and experienced that story? Or is there a line or an image from the play that has stuck with you since you heard it? And maybe how is that resonating with you? So we'll give you a moment to think on that, and then we'll hear from our artists. Like, as an Indigenous person, when we first started rehearsing it, it's always a good reminder. It's like, I, I always try to remind myself of this anytime I'm interacting with people who have different backgrounds and everything like that, that because uh, Saskatchewan has such a uh, complicated relationship between Indigenous people and non-Indigenous uh, people, it's like, you forget that, like, people have, like, their own, like, nuanced worldviews and, uh, like, so it's like, Bob and Bev, it's like, they're these two human beings who are just trying to do their best. They're doing what they, what they think is right. And sometimes, like, a lot of Indigenous people will be like, oh, white people think this way. The white people just hate all Indigenous things. And they're constantly that general, generalizations being made from a certain community's perspective. Not all, not all the time. It's not always the case, but. But I, I just think for me, it's, it's always just a good reminder to keep that internalized because, uh, you know, it prevents me from making those generalizations as well. So that was like my biggest takeaway from entering the project. Oh, that was actually why I said yes to it in the first place, honestly. So, yeah. Oh, thanks, Aaron. Yeah. yeah. I think uh, the image for me... Um, is the the young kid in that car freezing, trembling and afraid? Um, that's yeah. That what it really fed my me during the show and thinking about how I would perform this or you know and um, I think that's for Bob anyway. When he heard about Gerald Stanley and what he did, you know, and then all the vitriol and all that, you know, protecting my property and it's just doing what he had to do or whatever some of that stuff was. But I think what struck Bob is everybody forgot that it's just a kid, just a scared kid that, you know, got shot. Yeah, and so when he comes across that scared kid, he, it's, it, yeah, it's really impactful, and it, that image just kind of, I think, spurs him along for everything in the show. Mm-hmm. For me... I don't know that it, it. I found it surprising, but what really struck me was this understanding that we project so much onto other people, 
you know, as a white person projecting onto an indigenous person or a vice versa or whatever it may be, our minds and our thoughts project onto others and we, we then see them that way. And in this beautiful story, we start to see two people, Bev and Bob, who are at different stages of coming to a, a glimmer of understanding or a glimmer of starting to change very ingrained perceptions of what they would have called an other. And so it was really difficult for me at first because I didn't want to play her. I didn't want to be speaking those words. Mm -hmm. They bothered me. And then I had to stop and go, no, wait a minute. This is a real person, just like me, just like all of us who are at different stages of our understanding and our development. And even in this short little play, you start to see towards the end a small glimmer of where Bob sees the young kid, you know, fairly quickly. It took a while for Bev to see that because all she could see was a gloss of something else that has been ingrained in her. And it's her fear mm. of somebody who she perceives to be different. And so what really hit me then was this, this lovely reinforcement that we're all the same, that, that we're all, our true being is all the same. Thank you. Yeah. Shenda, could I ask you to share a little bit about the inspiration for the script and what, what led you into writing this? Yeah, well, it started off, um, was originally commissioned by some theater for their last Sunday, which is um, a monthly show that's aimed to sort of keep theaters sort of up with the times. Uh, like often you write a play, and by the time it sees production, it's two years later, and the things the play is about aren't even relevant anymore. So what they do is they commission a piece once a month. You write on the current events of that month. And I happened to uh, have signed on for the month where the Gerald Stanley trial verdict came down. And uh, I just saw so many, you know, they're like shutting down comment sections on articles about it because of all the horrible things. And there just seemed to be so much of like politics and beliefs just butting heads with each other. And I thought, there has to be a better way to talk about this. There has to be a better way to, like, invite those people into the conversation. There has to be a way to humanize this and not make it about the politics or the beliefs or who's right, who's wrong, and just um, make it about the human story, the feelings, the emotions behind it. And, I mean, I grew up on a farm, um, not all that far from a reserve. And uh, I saw a lot of my neighbors in uh, the people that were defending Gerald Stanley. And I saw a lot of my neighbors in the people that were not defending him. And I just wanted to sort of write about how, like, first of all, this is white people's problem to fix, like racism in this province. It's not up to the indigenous people to educate us. It's up to white people to talk to each other and invite each other into those difficult conversations. And what might that look like? 
again, like Lisa said, how to take those tiny little steps of coming into a better understanding. And um, especially in the older generation who have just kind of, it's always been this way. Um, and one thing early on when I was writing this play, I was talking with my dad and I'm very like wary of writing stories that don't belong to me. I don't want to steal anyone's history or, you know, write about things that I feel I don't have a claim to. And I was kind of talking to my dad about my idea for the play and, and that fear. And he said, well, it, but it kind of does belong to you. And he told me a story about how when he was growing up, there would often be people from the reserve near the farm he grew up on, which was not far from where I grew up. They would um, be walking along the highway and my grandparents' farm was right off the highway and they all knew that that farm was a safe place to stop. I, I don't know if they told each other or how, but they would always just come in the yard and ask for a glass of water. And my grandma would make them sandwiches and my grandpa would pile them all into the station wagon and drive them to wherever they needed to go. Not to paint them as like heroes or something. They were just good people trying to do right by their neighbors kind of thing. And that story kind of made me think like the history of Saskatchewan and, and Canada and the treaties and uh, the treatment of Indigenous peoples, all of that, it's all of our story and we have to own it, our side of it. And it's not about like guilt or beating up ourselves up over it, but it's about committing to learning and having those conversations and those little bits of change. And I wanted to write about someone who you wouldn't look at them and be like, oh, she's an evil racist, but someone who is just sort of closed-minded and believes that she's a good person and deep down is in many ways, but has this one sort of blind spot. And how those people who just keep their heads down and say it's none of my business, and I never hurt anybody, are just as dangerous as the blatant people who are making awful comments on articles about Indigenous stories. Like, yeah, all of that sort of culminated in this, this story and this play and it's, you know, my family's history and my sort of just being dumbstruck at how terrible people can be sometimes about issues like this. And yeah, all of that kind of came out in this this little story, so yeah. Thank you. Uh, there's so much behind this story. I really appreciate hearing that story about your grandparents. And, yeah. it, it's a short play, but there is so much in there. And, yeah, thank you. Thanks. I said I wasn't going to jump in, but I am. Go for it. Because <laughs> I can always edit myself out. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I, I think just to, to, to riff off this and on, on what Alan, the image of sitting in the car, like, I, I remember reflecting on this in the time you would have been writing this play and then encountering it again as we've, we've been making this play about, I, I know as, as someone who, as a young man, went off the road and had in, incidences <laughs> on more than one occasion where I had to end up going and knocking on a farmhouse door on the Canadian prairies the realization of the, what we see in this story of like the fear to go to a farmhouse and how much 
that is a reflection of a completely different experience than what I'm used to as as a, a non-indigenous person living on the prairies. Like I, I, there was never a hesitation for me to go to a farmhouse store. And I, I remember one time it was the middle of the day and it was a gruff farmer, but he still pulled my car out of the ditch. And I remember the other time it was, it was already night and it was, it would have been similar to the experience of, of what this young man experiences. Only I didn't have any fear. My experience is different and the, the history and the relationship is is not the same as what we we get to see we have a window to see what this young man is faced with and what he rightly fears because of the uh, history that's here and i think that is something that continues to give me pause and help me to realize my experience is not that of of neighbors that i i need to to hear their stories and i guess that's part of what we're hoping to share in this series so here's another question. We'll see if this, uh, what this stirs in you. How are you connected to the land and to the communities around you? And how maybe could you grow in those connections? I kind of grew up in like a kind of a uh, both as a city boy and a country boy, uh, like growing a half on the reserve and half in the city. So like my experience and connection with the land had usually been kind of like um, things like uh, like ceremonial stuff or um, uh, lots of outdoor activities, like specifically in relation to like First Nations kind of like lifestyles and stuff like that. And doing like culture camps as a kid and things like that but right now because I've been living in a city so long kind of like a little disconnected from it like for the most part of the year so like sometimes it's like difficult to like find the time to get out of that routine and go out into the country and kind of ground myself again so what I like to do is I my partner and I we like to just go for drives or we'll go for trail walks or do things outdoors here and there. And I think that's a good way for me to grow a bit more, to get more connected with uh, finding more time and actually making, instead of finding the time, rather like actually making the time and prioritizing it to be a active part of that, my my lifestyle and make that a part of my routine. Because I know like I, I, I definitely get lost in the work and, and, you know, I love doing what I do but I also, you know, love returning to the land whenever I can and, you know, just really appreciating the place that I'm in. I want to ring in again. I, yeah, yeah. I, I have, uh, I've, I've always enjoyed walking, not running. Don't ask me to run, but I'll, <laughs> I'll walk. And for me in particular, as in terms of my own personal spiritual practice, I, I can't pray inside. I have to be outside. <laughs> so for me to go and connect with with God, I, I need to be outside. And so I, I walk. And I think especially over the past year and a half as we've been in pandemic world, uh, that's been important to me again. And it's both a space then that I find as I, as I intentionally try to get outside, 
Uh, it provides a connection to, to God, which is also connection to place, um, the space that I'm in. And more and more in this time, it's been the one place and space in which I do connect with neighbors. So being out and walking and allowing it to be a space where I have the time and can pay attention to to people and to things so that I'm, I'm not just trying to get somewhere or do something, but I, but I take the time that I can, I can encounter and say hi to people and chat with them or notice that thing, walk down by the river and, and enjoy the, the place that I'm in and the people that, that are there that inhabit that space with me. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I grew up on a farm and, uh, it's a, the play they wrote out just outside Saskatoon called the pull of the land. I mean, that, that's a true thing. Like you do feel a pull back to where you're born and the, and the land you grew up on. And, you know, I could walk you, you know, across every field on our place and I know where all the sloughs are and like it's where I grew up. And then when I, I came to Saskatoon, I, I really enjoy the work I do here now. And it started in theater and now it's kind of, fundraising and management kind of stuff but yeah so it's different now but it you know you always feel that connection and I'm you know very privileged that my parents are still there my sister's still there so I can go back and reconnect uh, but also very uh, privileged that I was able to our, our family has a connection to Onion Lake and and I have family there now as I found out about 16 years ago and and so now there that's a different sort of connection to you know, growing up, uh, the, the racism was so, you know, it was very bad in Saskatchewan. Um, and and I was basically, you know, you just didn't go to the res, so you're afraid, you know, there was the fear, all of that was. Yeah. And uh, and I, I couldn't even imagine when I was that age that someone else grew up there and would have that same connection to that land. Um, until I started going there, you know, and I met these people who told me they were my family, uh, the Whitstones. And, and when I traveled back there uh, with my brother, uh, uh, Peter Chief, Pete, Pete Chief, and, uh, you know, he takes me around and shows me all the cool spots and took me out in the middle of the bush. And, you know, you stand here with this gun and call Moose, I'm going to go over here and, you know, scare the crap out of me. But... <laughs> but yeah, like it's just uh, it's so deeply a part of him that 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 place. Yeah, so I feel really privileged to be able to finally, you know, shed my fears and 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 be you know be embraced by the great people there and and to go and connect there as well. So the spirit of the treaties is adoption. From the Royal Proclamation of 1763 and on down through history, this welcoming strangers and becoming family together as all our relations or as all our relatives. Although we have not fulfilled that relationship across these lands called Canada. How does your experience of telling this particular story, the yard with the old plow, how does that interact with what we treaty people or all my relations, how those phrases resonate with you or what that would mean for you? It does resonate for me, um, similar to what I, the comment that I made earlier about 
making a commitment to increase my understanding of the reality of who we all are as human beings. Whatever I can be open to or embrace that will reinforce that true understanding, I'm, I'm grateful for. And, and I want more of that in my life. You know, I'm a city girl. I, I grew up on the West Coast, but my family roots are here in Saskatchewan. Half of my family are long, long ago settlers and homesteaders here. And the other half are Ukrainian immigrants who, you know, came a little bit later. I have no idea of who those people were, you know. In my life, I've moved around so much. My family moved around so much. I don't have what some of you are talking about as your connection to the land or your farm or your communities. It's, it's, I didn't have any of that. But I did have a longing to come back to Saskatchewan. And when I did, I found this incredible community that I was not expecting. And I've been fighting against it for a really long time. But what I'm starting to understand now is that even though I don't know who my ancestors are, I kind of know where they were, but I, I don't know their stories, and I feel really sad about that, that there's that disconnection. But what I can begin to do is start the story now. And so having chosen to live in this community and begin to make connections and to find ways as an artist, like with this play, to become, you know, as Bev was enlightened in the story, I started to become more enlightened. There, I know that there's still so much that I need to learn and understand. It is about adoption. I feel like I could be open to being adopted. And likewise, well, I'm a bit of an optimist. I know we're living in a really challenging world right now, <laughs> but I really do believe that things are changing. I really do. And I don't think it's going to happen quickly. I think it's going to happen over many generations. But it is happening. We are moving towards that. I have to believe that. Yeah, speaking of like the optimism, like I, I tend to be like in the same boat where <laughs> historically like uh, like the intertribalism between First Nations communities, there tends to be like this thing where like the pacifist First Nation person is like assimilating or kind of like like the the weak thread uh or whatever but like i think the complete opposite with like the the phrase uh we're all treaty or whatever in order to kind of like let go of that anger and that resentment that step also has to be made from first nation people to you know not to necessarily completely let go and forget that history but like to move forward and make the build those new connections because a lot of the people who are currently here right now they 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 weren't the perpetrators of that right so like you know we have this perfect opportunity to make that change to you know build those new connections and uh rekindle that optimism that could be there and and it's kind of strange too because a lot of first nation people we use humor all the time in like everything so like, I don't understand why, like, whenever it comes to, like, inter, um, the relation between white people and First Nation people, they're, 
that, that pushback and that resentment and that anger. And like rightfully so, like I don't want to dismiss that. But I think it's also a personal journey too. Like as an individual, like are you ready to, are you ready as a First Nation person to move forward and, you know, let go of that resentment and anger? You know, I, I, I'm still going through that <laughs> and it's, it's really hard. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I just wanted uh, listeners to kind of, you know, think on that, especially any of the First Nation listeners who might be out there. I think that's a really important, like you said, there's, you're in, you and your community are still working through your anger. And I feel like as white people, I think it's important for us to acknowledge your right to that. Mm-hmm. And so much of it is like, what oh, happened so long ago, like get over it already. A, it didn't happen so long ago. And B, like you have every right to not be over it. And I think part of our responsibility in in healing it and moving forward from it is acknowledging your right to that anger and giving space for it and putting away our sort of instinct to um, get defensive about it. Like, well, I never hurt anybody. It wasn't my me or, you know, and just acknowledge that we are all complicit in it and we have all benefited from it mm-hmm. and you know our generational wealth our you know my farm has been in my family for four generations and where who owned that land before that you know and yeah it's time for us to as you know white people as settlers to acknowledge that yeah maybe I didn't take this land or I didn't put anyone in a residential school, but I definitely am still benefiting from those things that happened decades ago. We can, can own that and um, deal with that in our own way and let the people that were harmed by that feel that anger, give them every right to express it however they want. And I think that's a really important step in trying to to build community between us and to to hold space for that grief yeah yeah what i see in the in the farming community is you know they there is you know they look back at the good old days right when oh yeah you know we had you know people come by from the reserve and we you know they'd stay overnight they camp they used to camp in my grandpa's backyard and and go go on and and uh but now that that got eroded and eroded and eroded. And what people forget is exactly what Shanda said. You know, we kept benefiting from having access to land, to being able to, to farm, to not having to face racism, you know, not being afraid to go into a farmyard. They, people forget about the cumulative effect of being left behind, not just left behind, but stuck there and not, you know, not allowed to participate in the economy, not allowed to vote until 1950, not allowed to hire a lawyer to dispute a land claim. Someone mm-hmm. takes your land away, too bad, you can't hire a lawyer. You know, like they, 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 you know, a lot of people don't remember those things or don't know those things. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the cumulative effect of poverty is what we see now, right? So there's increased crime, there's, there's, 
drugs. There's, it's, you know, onion life is a scary place in a lot of ways now. For example, that's the one I know about. There's gangs, there's, you know, but that, that's on us too. That's because no, no resource sharing, no, you know, no, stay in the reserve. You don't get anything more. You know, I mean, there's a little bit here and there. There's treaty land entitlement and that. People say, oh, you know, they get so much, but <laughs> it's peanuts compared to what, what my family's gotten. You know, uninterrupted, do whatever the hell you want. Yeah. And then you, you know, you tie it to now in this pandemic. You know, people say I have to wear a mask and I have to get vaccinated. It's an infringement on my rights. It's like, no, no, you need to learn what infringement on rights really is. Get in your car and drive to the res. That's what infringement of rights is. COVID-19 is a health issue. It's a health and safety issue, nothing more. If you want to talk about infringement of rights, learn the history of Canada. But yeah, I mean, uh, we are all treaty people. And yeah, we have a responsibility. And it's very slow, like Lisa said, it takes a lot of time. And part of that is education. Part of that is also on, on First Nations being able to vote and being able to, and then taking that, that vote and, and using it to your advantage so that politicians suddenly have to start listening. But if they know, if they know they can stay in power, they can do nothing and still stay in power, then they'll do nothing. And that's what just kept happening over and over again. Oh yeah, we'll do it, we'll do it, we'll do it. But for now, we're going to do all this for the mainstream community and leave those guys behind and just further and further and further behind and that just that's that's the powder cake that's the trouble that's why Gerald Stanley happened it's because we just try to ignore it can't ignore it anymore part of what I've grappled with a bit is uh, trying to rethink in terms of this this language you you were using here Alan of, of rights and ownership where we think we have a right to certain things and we we've earned or own certain things and that seems to just be uh that's where, where a bunch of the fear is bound up in and you you see the not the fear in um jonathan of the car mm -hmm. but um when you hear bev's fear even as jonathan's approaching the farmhouse you're like what is that fear what is that fear about and it's fear of losing something that you think is is yours and part of the shift in what i like in what happens with with bob if you if you see it in the way that i i think i'm seeing it is this sense in which like he understands that just in his role at the co-op he has a a responsibility but maybe and that's not the, the right language of, of like he he wants to share in what he knows should be shared with People have been excluded from the co-op. I think that's where a shift in in how we perceive what is what it mean what what is ours as something that I don't have a first and foremost a right to because somehow I earned it. And in terms of my own place, owning house, owning property in Saskatoon, but is that something that I have a right to and I can do with like what I want, or is this? these things, this place, this space that I have, something that I have more of a responsibility to 
to share and steward. And it's more about that than about what I have the right to, to do with it. And I think that's part of what I'm starting to try and lean into in the sense of adoption by a place that has a history with a people that, that long predates my encounter with this place. Well, thank, thank you, each of you. I feel like we could talk some more, but I also want to just respect everybody's time. I see we're at 6.15, which is what we, we said we'd go to. I, I, I want to find some great way to like tie up everything. Because like, <laughs> there's some rawness, right? There's some on, on it. Like, each, each of you have shared really on, honestly, and I, I just appreciate that. And it's uh, it's tender, right? It's personal. This this material and the, the, this these stories and the, the topics, but um, uh, yeah, just appreciate each of you engaging with it honestly, and uh, both. I want to invite each of us and each of our listeners to to let let this story and I guess whatever emotion it it stirs in us, let that be fuel and and uh, energy to to take whatever is the next step in our learning journeys in our in our movement forward and our our growing and learning as as brothers and sisters on many levels thanks everyone thank you thank you we Treaty People is a production of Burnt Thicket Theatre. Support our work with a donation and learn more about the artists at burntthicket.com. And check out our website or the episode description for links to other great learning resources. Special thanks go to the Canada Council for making this project possible. And to our season sponsors, Shercom Industries and SK Arts. This work was gratefully created on Treaty 6 territory and on the homeland of the Métis. Join us next time for another audio drama episode of We Treaty People.